What is up, guys? Um, so for this podcast, it's actually pretty fucking badass. Um, I love the hell out of it. He's an extremely funny guy. Um, there might be some parts where you might not understand with like certain lingo. Um, if you're genuinely interested and want to kind of tag along a little bit more, I'd probably recommend pausing it and then uh, Googling the certain terms that we use uh, just so that we can stay up to date as much as possible. But uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this podcast as much as I did. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Perfect. I can hear you too. We're in business. Awesome. Awesome, man. How's, how's your day been so far? Great. Great. How about yours? Uh, it's been pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, I actually got to sleep in today, so we just kind of got nice. the flow. But that's why I'm here with you. I'm trying to hear uh, what your best practices are. I mean, how you got started and, and pretty much where, where you've been from the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, what do you want to know first? Yeah, um, I mean, what what was your upbringing? I guess, like, I guess when I'm asking that, I mean, um, did you uh, did you have like zero capital when you first started? Did you have um, uh, X amount, or and then how did you build up from that? Yeah, you know, uh, sometimes sometimes people think you know they they see kind of what I've built and what I've done, and they think that there's some element of family money here, and mm-hmm. there's it's actually quite quite the opposite. Uh, I my parents are first-generation Americans. Uh, my mom uh, worked in a coffee shop a uh, good part of my life growing up. Um, and my dad worked in like the gas station business uh, where he was working retail for the most part. So I didn't really grow up with any money um, at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, My first few jobs were kind of interesting. I delivered pizzas for a little bit when I was yeah. 18. I tried to pay my way through school, but was expensive and that didn't really work out and so uh, I fell into the tech space and um, uh, built a skill uh, around uh, internet marketing uh, around uh, paid search and SEO and affiliate marketing at a, at a pretty young age and I was able to leverage that into uh, my first real job at around 19 years old at a marketing agency around uh, around town here in Houston Texas yeah I think I was making around forty, forty-five thousand a year, which was which was a lot of money back then. I'm 32 now, so this is back in I would say 2008-ish, around around oh, 08. I was I was under the impression you're 25 or 26. <laughs> no, I'm 32. Oh, I'm 32. Okay. I look I look a lot younger, don't I? Dude, for sure. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and so uh, worked in the tech world for a little bit, and then I started my own business in the tech space. And uh, it was, this was back in probably 09, where we were importing computer parts from China, uh, and I would resell them here in the States. And, uh, you know, pretty simple buy low, sell high type business. Uh, But uh, uh, something that's easily commoditized. And uh, in the world of Amazon, Amazon started to get big around around 2009, 2010, in terms of a third party marketplace. And so uh, that business model, uh, didn't have enough legs to, to sustain long term, and um, I pivoted uh, in the healthcare space uh, and a couple other things in the tech world. And what happened was, you know, I started to accumulate capital uh, based on my based on my tech startups, and I started to uh, research and learn on how to invest that capital. And you know, at the time, we're talking a few million dollars. Uh, you know, which is which, which is a lot of money right now. It, you know, it was back then too. Uh, 
but uh, it uh, was everything back then. Um, and so uh, I learned on my own um, how to invest in public markets, how to how to quote unquote trade. Um, you know, I don't, I don't really fully like that term. I, I feel like what I do is more investing than trading anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but essentially how to allocate capital and how to do it efficiently and how to get an effective return. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I started doing that maybe eight or nine years ago and I uh, started to get really good at that. And then I levered up uh, on that into using options, mm-hmm. um, which is a form of derivative trading, um, which allows you to lever up your 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 stock equity plays um, and started to get involved with that maybe four years ago mm-hmm. um, and then it's just been supercharged since then gotcha i've been doing extraordinarily well yeah in regards to um to the options plays that you take I, i'm since you said you're more like an investor i'm guessing you're not a day trader what what's your average no. i guess trade look like in regards to um to holding period so a lot of times when it comes to options, I would hold to expiration. Um, me too. Right and now. expirations. I'm sorry. Oh, me too. Right now, because I'm a dumbass. Yeah. Well, sometimes you sometimes you don't have a choice because you lose too much money if you yeah. don't. <laughs> you uh, go now, hole. That's why I'm like, dude, I need fucking AI doing this shit for me. I'm like, I can't fucking that fucking yeah. emotion, man. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a it's a tough game, especially. Especially if uh, if you get emotional about it, and uh, and it, it takes it takes some level of uh, mental acuity that you get with experience. You know, I've I've made a lot of money, but I've also lost a lot of money, and there are a lot of lessons that you learn as you lose money, and you learn what not to do. Uh, but for me, you know, I I don't really I don't exit positions prior to expiration. So I, I rarely ever do that. I make a calculated bet and I hold expiration and sometimes even post expiration I'll take the assignment or or I'll I'll trigger the assignment if if I'm on the ownership side of that trade so mm-hmm. oh, so you're buying options correct you're not selling options or anything like that? both oh you're both. doing both okay yeah if, if if anything I I write options more than I buy them gotcha. uh, okay. so I I enjoy doing things like cash covered puts and uh, naked calls uh, on the short side, uh, even covered calls. Okay. Uh, and then, you know, if I'm very, very bullish, then I'll buy calls and, you know, do that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And is that on the overall market or do you stick to like big tech names or, or what do you normally, or just random ones that fit your certain criteria? Uh, so I, I do my own underwriting. Um, mm-hmm. and we, we we're picking individual companies. Um, and we're doing things like we're looking at discounted cash flow statements, we're looking at analyst reports, we're looking at market research, we're listening to quarterly earning calls, we're researching management. And so there's a big, um, there's a big uh, due diligence component uh, on every transaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know and understand every company that we're trading mm-hmm. and we know it so well that we only actively trade uh like a dozen or so equities Mm -hmm. and there are and they are individual companies 
So, and you know, and the flavor changes throughout the year. Some fall off our radar because it's no longer within our conviction price range. Uh, some stay on long term, and we just continue modifying our price targets, and we trade against those targets at that point. So, like, you know, I'm not sure if uh, this is the right platform to go into specific specific symbols. I mean, I could, but if yeah. you'd like, you can. Uh, I'm I'm decently versed into it. I don't know how much my audience is, but I mean, we could just make it a trading podcast if you if you're into that. I mean, you are an options trader, so I mean, I'm all for it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like one of one of our bigger bigger plays right now is Netflix, oh, and wow. uh, you know, we do things like buy calls on Netflix. We we sell cash covered puts. And when the puts are signed, we hold the stock, we sell covered calls on it. And so we're continually cycling uh, Netflix uh, and we're creating cash mm-hmm. uh, out of making bets around Netflix. Okay. Um, and uh, and that's, that's like one of around a dozen or so that we, are, that we, we actively look at and we actively trade with. Okay. Uh, you know, you asked me what my average hold is. Generally on the option side, uh, our expiration are anywhere from two weeks to six months out. Okay. Yeah. Got you. And you say we, so I'm assuming it's just it's not just you, correct? How big is your team? No. That you have right now. Uh, I have three analysts uh, full time that that help me uh, trade and analyze investments uh, and help do do due diligence. Mm-hmm. Um, things like analyzing financial statements and you know and you need you need a team to be able to bounce ideas off of and uh yeah but i'm not trading any outside money i don't have investors uh it's all it's all house money nice that's even that's that's what you know it's serious here (laughs) yeah yeah it's uh you know taking part of what you alluded to yesterday or, or earlier is this can get pretty stressful especially if you're losing money um, I can't imagine how stressed out I would be if I was in a position to lose someone else's money. It's just not in my personality. I would, I would never, and you know, I get, I get people in my DMs all the time and say, can I, can I write you a check? Could you trade for me? Could mm-hmm. you tell me what you're trading? And the answer is always no. It's, yeah. This stuff is so unstable and there's such a, there's a real possibility that you lose money every day. Mm-hmm. And I would never want to subject someone else's capital to that type of risk. Mm-hmm. And I also, I also fear that having that uh that risk factor around me of me potentially having other people lose money will will get me to act in a way that's inconsistent with my system um and with my with my process uh just because i get more risk adverse and uh, the factors have changed and so there's there's and so it's really a discipline thing for me as well in in regards to um, I guess the uh, percentage of your capital that you're using, how much do you base that off? Because I'm assuming you were more aggressive in the beginning, and now it seems like you're cooling off a little bit. If that sounds right, correct? Yeah, yeah. Like right now, I trade with a couple hundred million. Uh-huh. Uh, that's the founding capital, and depending on the year, depending on how bullish I am and how much opportunity is out there, sometimes I I, I have all of that invested, and then I lever on top. Uh, and I'm in, I'm in what I call a, a high risk period, yeah. uh, where I feel like, Hey, there's an opportunity to make money right now. Let's, mm-hmm. let's kind of, let's, let's, let's increase our risk appetite to, to be able to get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then other times when I'm expecting more of a macro level cool down, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm uncomfortable with how inflated things are. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of deals out there. Um, then I'll be very delevered. Um, I'm rarely ever in all cash. I always have something at play, uh-huh. uh, but I get pretty close to that sometimes. Got you. Has the bullshit, I don't know how you feel on it, but for me it's bullshit like the whole Delta and Delta Plus, whatever, all that crap. How, do you feel like that's gonna negatively impact the markets again uh, based off of the fear, kind of like how the initial COVID shock was? Because I know it's different because before we had no idea. Now we have some sense of idea, but it does seem like everything's kind of moving towards a lockdown, vaccination cards, records, all that bullshit. So I, I, what are your thoughts on that? You know, uh, the most money I ever made was last year. Me too. Uh, and actually. a lot of it, yeah. Well, not yeah, a lot like of on it. your last, <laughs> not even close, but for me, for yeah. me, for me, yeah. Well, well, a lot, a lot of it last year was that increase in volatility is good for an options trader, mm-hmm. uh, right? Because you have you have more theta on your bets. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's uh, and you you have you know you you get more premiums if you're on the right side. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're if you're selling and you're, if you're if you're writing contracts, uh, so COVID was um, last year uh, back in like March or so when you had this big collapse. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a uh, probably the single most profitable event. Uh, now that being said, I'm not under underwriting or I'm not uh, uh, I'm not underestimating how tragic this whole thing is and Definitely. people lost their lives yeah. obviously. Uh, but I knew that uh, this is this was going to get out of control in February when China went into lockdown, mm-hmm. and um, and at that time the American public had this idea that hey this is going to be constrained to China, and the more you look at the science, the more it was clear that this was going to be global, uh, and you had a lot of people that predicted that, uh, uh, but they were for the most part ignored. And I remember mid-February uh, 2020, you know, we were hitting all-time highs. Uh, yeah. And and uh, and this is a while you had a major city in China in lockdown because of this, because of this virus. Mm. And at the time also, you know, we thought this thing was way worse than it is. You know, we were looking at, we were looking at a death rate of like 3% or so at the time, which is insane. Yeah. Uh, now, you know, we understand it's a very small fraction of that, but, mm. uh, but the market for the most part ignored this February last year, and I, I went into a all cash position uh, towards uh, mid February, and I then uh, started to make uh, short bets around the market. So I started to make bearish bets, uh, and I made a killing uh, leading up to the bottom out in March, mm-hmm. uh, and so that that worked out worked out really really well, uh, and and then things got sufficiently cheap, and uh, you know I missed the bottom, not you know. Nobody can time this stuff. I missed yeah. the bottom, and I was able to reverse shortly after the bottom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I think I made like ninety-one million dollars last year. Fucking uh, is insane amount of money uh, doing Jesus. this. And uh, the the now you see some similar parallels now to what you saw the last March. But I don't think you, the market is going to have is, is is really going to take too much of a hit here because. Because of a few things, one is people aren't dying the way that they used to die, yeah. uh, right? We're we, we're very good at treating this, and so the death rates are are still low. The infections are high, but not many people are dying. Mm-hmm. That being said, we also understand 
what a lockdown looks like and what effect it has on the global economy. And we understand how to pick winners and how to pick losers if, if, if we have to react uh, because of this increase, if society has to react by instituting a second lockdown, which would be, which really would be tragic. But we know how, how that looks like. It's nothing new, right? The market hates uncertainty. That's the number one thing the market hates. And Definitely. the second time around, you just don't have that level of uncertainty anymore because you've done it once already. On top of that, uh, one of the reasons why the dip last year was so short-lived is because the Fed kicked in a year very quickly. Uh, you know, they, they lowered rates, you had quantitative easing, they started buying corporate bonds, and the, and the Feds came in and they propped up the market. Yeah. And there's no indication that they won't do that again. In fact, they're continually propping it up on a monthly basis with the QE programs. Mm. So um, I, I'm not worried about it at all, really. Uh, as far as the market is concerned, you know, of course my heart goes out to the people that are getting sick, but I, yeah. think, I think the market will, will, will be stable. Correct, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. What, what do you think would happen if the Fed started tapering um, what they're currently doing right now? Because there were talks about that this morning, that they're going to progressively do it little by little. Do you think that could have uh, enough of an impact on the market for it to, to at least see a little bit of a downside? Do you think it will go back into a kangaroo market? Or, or what are your opinions or potential thoughts on that? Or if they raise rates as well? Um. So before they raise rates, they would ease up on the QE first. Uh, it'd be a step-by-step approach. And um, the, I think the single biggest detriment to this market uh, or the single biggest risk is the Fed uh, coming in and cooling it off by, by easing up on the QE programs or by raising rates uh, or easing up and then subsequently raising rates. It's still likely happen in that process. Uh, I think... I think if we got to the point where rates have gone up, uh, the bull market's over. Uh, you're going to see a massive, massive correction, and it'll be the biggest buying opportunity that you're going to have for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's going to be bloody, and it's going to be painful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think people are underestimating how much of the current market is propped up by the Fed. Mm-hmm. And as soon as they stop propping it up, oh, it's, it's pandemonium, mm-hmm. uh, trillions trillions in market value uh, in market capital lost uh, throughout the throughout the S&P 500 throughout throughout all major indexes throughout Nasdaq it'll 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 just be chaos mm-hmm. uh, and then also one thing to understand is you know the, the market right now I mean it's so frothy and you have you have all this all this retail trading going on uh, and you have people buying that are levered uh, which is very dangerous if you don't know what you're doing and what'll happen is when you see a little bit of a downtick because say the Fed raised rates. Well, by them raising rates, your levered funds are automatically more expensive because you're paying interest on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but at the same time, so your 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 capital cost goes up, Feds raise rates, uh, and the market is going to take a dip, and so your base assets go down and you end up with a cycle of selling, right? Because people are gonna have to free up, free up liquidity, they're gonna get margin calls, and they're gonna wanna take on less leverage, so they're gonna exit positions, yeah. and you, you end up with this like just runaway reaction mm-hmm. of selling. Yeah. And so, uh, I don't know when it's gonna happen, right? Nobody can time this stuff, right? Well, yeah. I think Warren Buffett said, you know, show me someone that can time the market, I'll show you a liar, right? Uh, Who knows? Like that, yeah. 
yeah, who knows? Who knows when that'll happen? But uh, I'm I'm cautious because I, you know, what'll drive the feds to do that is what they'll see is that the market is they'll see that the market is too frothy in the sense that they'll see that unemployment is so low and, and you know uh, companies can't find labor, and then you have the element of inflation that we've kind of been seeing yeah. some indications of. Um, so uh, you know if the feds are bothered enough by those indicators, they're going to react and, and, uh, and the market will, will respond violently. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with all that you said. Uh, you might know a little bit more in detail for this in particular, but no, I, I agree once interest rates rise, it's going to be game over. Uh, and that's one thing, I, I mean, I'm more of a bear. That's what's made me more, I've, I'm the worst fucking long bull in history. Like literally every single thing I did was wrong. But I guess I worked out on the opposite side. But yeah, I mean, that's just, for, let me ask you this as well. Um, you said you started learning everything on your own. Um, how, how did you end up doing that? What was like your first steps in regards to learning how to become a trader? Um, and then how did you advance from there? Because it seems like you were all self-taught and I think that's what, what's giving you that exception to where you're at right now. Whereas everyone else falls into that sheep herd mentality and they go to like all the bullshit like mentors and guru and they don't really learn anything they just get their trades front run and, and whatnot yeah so i i learned um i learned on my own uh mostly by watching youtube videos mm -hmm. uh and uh, and just reading uh reading content online about investing and about trading um i think these gurus are very dangerous yeah uh, understanding if you understand the market and you understand this business and you understand this game i promise you and, and whoever's listening to this like just just please think about this i promise you whoever understands this game does not need to sell courses to make money mm -hmm. it does not make any sense for someone who supposedly is good at trading is good at investing is good at creating capital creating wealth using the public markets but they need your 39.99 uh, to teach you how to do it does not make sense yeah. um, and and all this information is like is free and it's available online and you don't need to pay anybody for it mm -hmm. uh, and by paying someone for it you're probably doing a disservice uh, to yourself um, because obviously this person doesn't know what they're talking about or else they wouldn't need your 40 bucks for a course mm -hmm. uh, you know people message me all the time my dms are filled with people asking if there's, if there's a course or if i if i tutor them or train them and uh, just like no, why would I want to do that? It's, yeah. I have no, I have no interest in going out there. And you know, I have some systems that are proprietary, and uh, you know, the problem is you take a proprietary system and you publicize it, the system loses value because mm -hmm. because whatever whatever market distortions uh, that your system relies on, those distortions will quickly disappear because you've publicized where the profit is um and uh so you want to so whoever says they have to have this like magic system and they'll charge you for it it's bullshit so you'll you'll never make any money doing that mm -hmm. yeah no I, I completely agree on that um i i had another question as well it's kind of a side note um i'm assuming you kept up with all like the the wall street bets shenanigans and whatnot right yeah, I I monitor it here and there. You know, yeah. the whole GameStop deal was kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, I've I've known about Wall Street bets for a while, and I've uh, I've 
browsed through it over the last few years, even prior to the GameStop thing, and they really just catapulted in the, you know, in front of like the national news, mm-hmm. um, right when the GameStop stuff happened back in January. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think it's, it, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a value investor, right? So I I I'm an old school. Uh, uh, investor where I look at really value creation, right? When you, when you invest in a company, you're buying, at the end of the day, what are you buying? You're buying future cash flows. And so you want to buy strong companies with the most potential to have as much of future cash flows as possible. That's the whole concept of buying a share in a company or investing in a company. Um, and, and so when we're making, you know, when we're underwriting our companies, we're looking for companies that will eventually make a lot of money. And, uh, and we're looking for symmetry with how much money they will make with how much they're worth right now. Uh, and the problem, the problem when you, when, you, when you look at Wall Street bets is that this, this relationship between value of the company and the amount of money the company makes, right? The value creation of the, of the business itself, uh, it's completely disjointed. Uh, people, people are not taking the, if you look at AMC, like AMC is a specific example, uh, that business is not worth what Wall Street bets have made, has made it worth. Mm-hmm. Uh, right? AMC is trading at this like crazy multi-billion dollar valuation. It's not so good of a business. No matter how you underwrite it, you'll never get there. Uh, but Wall Street Bets has created this culture to where you have these retail investors, and you know they're buying by looking at a chart and they're seeing a dip and they're saying, "Oh, if it goes down, it must go up," mm-hmm. and that's just not how stocks work. Uh, and so they're buying and they're 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 buying things like GameStop, they're buying things like AMC, and they're doing so for the sole reason that they think that someone will pay more for it at a future time. And, and so, you know, you buy it at 30 thinking, hey, next month, maybe someone will pay 35 for it. And, and that is a very dangerous thought process because you shouldn't be buying companies because you hope someone else will, be pay, will pay more for it later. You should buy companies because you think the business is worth more than it's valued at. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think you have to look at it within that prism uh, to have long-term wealth creation in this market. Um, and so I stay away from the meme stocks, uh, from Wall Street bets. Um, I think it. I think a lot of people are going to lose a lot of money when this thing comes crashing down. And I think it will come crashing down at some point. Mm-hmm. Have you been tempted to short any of those stocks? Um, I mean, I mean, with the capital you got, I mean, I'd for sure be tempted with all the liquidity that's going on now too. I'm just like, I mean, there's always the pot. I mean, there have been a few hedge funds that have blown up, so there's always that risk, obviously. But it looks fucking sweet right now, like at least from my eyes. But I mean, I don't know, you know. You know these these guys, they're too irrational to bet against. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Oh, dude, have you uh, seen that fucking saying? It's a. uh, it says it's a it, oh, fuck. It was such a stupid one from like Wall Street bets. It was like, st- stay stay more solvent than you can be retarded or something like that. I'm like, Bro. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, dog, y'all have no fucking chill. 
you know, Wall Street Bets has this concept of lost porn. Yeah, uh, do high you yeah, that do. Or, yeah, it's the most, you know, and, 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 you know, and I look at these like 98% dips in people's portfolios and they're just like, it happens. And I'm like, it shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen. And if you, unless you're doing something really stupid, you shouldn't lose that kind of money. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, yeah. I, uh, you know, truthfully, uh, I, I did short GameStop for a very small amount of time. Yeah. Uh, and I've le- I learned my lesson after that short to never short anything that Wall Street bets is bullish on. Uh, uh-huh. You just can't underestimate uh, how many, you know, quote unquote autists and retards <laughs> that can call themselves are out there. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you know, there's, there's a saying, it goes, it goes, it goes, the market can be irrational longer than you can stay solvent. Yeah. I, I think that's uh, how they twist that. Yeah. That's, that's kind of how they, how they, yeah, they kind of twisted something on that. Is yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, so it, the GameStop, you know, the short on my end uh, didn't work out, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I got out of it pretty early, and I didn't, I didn't lose. I didn't really lose much. Uh, but I've learned, and the fact that like GME is still up there, right? Yeah. I mean, this thing was like ten dollars. Let me see what it is right now. It's uh, one hundred fifty-one right now. It's I mean, it's it's an eleven billion dollar market cap for this company. It's insanity. Uh, I mean, I think AMC is more atrocious than that because AMC has a worse business. Huh? I think it's in the fifties right now, if I remember right. Yeah, I'm I'm talking about in terms of market cap, right? The per share price doesn't really mean much. Yeah. It looks like it fell it fell down to thirty two. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, this is something that was worth like, like it was worth like ten. Um, it was worth like 10 bucks, uh, post lockdown, pre lockdown, you know, it fell down to three when, I mean, you literally have concerns of AMC being in business, right? It, AMC has existential problems. At least GameStop doesn't have existential problems. It's, you know, financials are decent, uh, not a lot of debt, you know, uh, it's not definitely not worth what wall street bets has made it worth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, AMC is pretty dangerous right now. So I would, I, I don't touch the meme stuff. I don't touch GameStop. I don't touch AMC. Uh, aside from you know that small little experiment I did with GameStop back in January, I don't, I don't mess with them anymore. Mm-hmm. Did you see? Uh, well, obviously you saw. But what do you think about uh, Robinhood's IPO? Uh, Robinhood's an interesting beast. Uh, I, I didn't participate in the IPO. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not involved in it. I, I have, I have a lot of ethical concerns in the way that Robinhood operates and their business model of a selling order flow. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think they, with the, with the way that they make money, right, it's quote unquote free trading, which really isn't free because they're selling your order flow, you end up paying more for what you're buying or, or you get less for what you're selling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the way that they make money is a conflict with, uh, is a conflict of interest with their customers. Um, and, uh, and so I think the SEC should, should come in or some or Congress should come in and they should, they should really should fix this. Robinhood shouldn't be allowed to make money the way that, the way that they make money. Uh, so I have some very deep problems with that. Uh, so I have some ethical concerns about it. And, uh, and I also have concerns about Robinhood in terms of valuation. Uh, if you look at some of the traditional bro- uh, brokerages, right? If you look at what E-Trade sold uh, to Morgan Stanley for, if you look at what Interactive Brokers 
which is what I use. I use interactive brokers. If you look at what they're worth right now, you know, do, been doing this for 20, 30 years. IB's been around forever. Um, and IB, you know, the market cap uh, is 26 billion. It's less than half of what Robinhood is worth. So I worry about inflated valuations, and I don't think the numbers justify where where, where Robinhood is. Mm. You know, yeah, I think no. Robinhood Robinhood has downside potential of seventy plus percent potentially. Mm-hmm. No, I I agree with with everything that you're saying, and obviously you have you have all the the research done on your end much more than I do. Um, I don't know if you had seen this thing or not, but people were saying about Robinhood, uh, they were like. Oh, I wonder where, when they're gonna restrict Robinhood's um, like the buy. You know how they were restricting like GameStop and AMC at a certain point for for these funds. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were restricting it because uh, apparently people weren't allowed to buy more than like five or ten shares or whatever. Um, right. For like it, technical issues or something like that, and they're like, "Oh yeah, cute. I wonder when they're gonna do that for Robinhood too. I bet you they fucking won't because they're scumbags like that." And I'm like, "Hey, you got a fucking <laughs> point. They might not. I don't think they will because I think." I didn't check it today, but I know it went down like 16% the first day of IPO, and then it's like skyrocketed up to like 160%. It became like a fucking meme stock. I was like, what the fuck? I'm like, 160% from the fucking IPO? I'm like, it's only been like a week, bro. It's insane. I don't know. Yeah, um, they're saying that there was like a gamma squeeze, which is like an options or options related uh, squeeze for like market makers or buying stock and stuff to cover cover call options that people are, people are writing and purchasing. So, um, you know, post IPO, things are volatile, uh, and the market is understanding what something is worth, and mm-hmm. so uh, the market takes some time to triangulate on the value of a company post IPO. And I think you're just seeing some some uh, some growing pains and a lot of volatility mm-hmm. in Robinhood right now, uh, because you know that big jump happened right when they opened up options trading for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah, so, that's right. Yeah, it aligns with that, which reinforces the idea that it was a gamma squeeze. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Kathy made a killing off of it because I think she bought a whole bunch early on. Um, would, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I don't think Robinhood. Is, you know, I I saw reports that Robinhood when you try to sell Robinhood stock on Robinhood, it'll like warn you. Of like, hey, you shouldn't sell this. Yeah. Uh, but you know, when you fact check that, you realize that you know it's it's when you buy into the IPO, you generally are expected to hold for six months mm-hmm. uh, because you got shares prior to the IPO, and so that's all that warning was. Is hey, you know, if you if you if we're going to give you a, a pre-IPO shares, you know, it's courteous of, for you to hold it for six months rather than just dump it in the open market. And if you do that, the next time there's a IPO offering that Robinhood has access to for its customers they're not going to let you participate because most companies want long-term holders and so they want people that'll invest that'll hold this thing for a while uh, i'm not a conspiracy theorist when it comes to this stuff you know i don't think there's robin hood is involved in some conspiracy to be you know to to drive the value of a certain stock in a certain direction i i, I don't think that's the case i think robin hood is incentivized with market stability um, and you know they have their masters that they have to answer to the clearing houses and so forth, and they can only do so much too. Um, I know Citadel's a big one, right? One of their quote-unquote masters, yeah. 
Yeah. I, I don't know. I just know that, like, like you said, yeah, they, they got an answer to it. I mean, that's how they make a lot, a large chunk of their money, right? Selling the information from the, the retail investors to the big guys. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, which is very, uh, it's very unlike Robinhood, right? The whole idea was to take from the rich and give to the poor, but yeah. Robinhood is actually quite the opposite. They yeah. take from the poor and they give to the rich because they throw around words like free trading. Yeah. And yeah, and people that don't know how to do their research, or they're just kind of like ooh and odd with the uh, with the bright colors and the fancy user interface. Mm-hmm. They get kind of tricked into it. Yeah, and then I don't know, just people. Yeah, like you said, it's. People are just like like babies. They're like, "Ooh, we see something shiny. Let's go for it." It's like, and they get lured by the zero commissions. I'm like, it's probably just better to pay it. Just just mark my yeah. words, you know. Like it's not. Yeah. They make it appealing, but I guess that's the power of marketing. I mean, marketing is an extremely powerful tool, and if and if you're not, um, if you don't have your eyes peeled out, you'll fall for it. And I think that just boils back down to those same retail investors or traders going back to like those gurus they just see like the fancy lifestyle and they're like that's what i want and like they have their eyes like vision on that but they they kind of ignore like the whole process itself in regards to to becoming a trader to becoming um the master of your emotions which is hard for everyone including myself uh, and that kind of leads me on towards the next thing that i wanted to ask you as well when it came to overcoming your emotions or managing your risk how do you do that do you have one of your analysts place the trades for you is it is it done through um like a software or do you just do that all yourself no uh we have a trader at interactive brokers uh in in new york city that works that works with us mm-hmm. uh so uh you know the the the, the portfolio when you have a portfolio with a couple hundred million dollars in assets in it, it's not really, you don't really just, you know, get onto the app and do trades. It's not that simple. Um, the trades that you're doing, especially when it comes in the options world, uh, they're of such, they're of such a size that you have to execute them over a period of time mm-hmm. or else you end up, uh, or you, or else you end up moving the market, uh, in the direction that you don't want it to go. Uh, because you're going to flood the market with buy orders or sell orders. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be careful. So whenever we need to open up a position and we're ready to open up a position, that's a multi-hour event uh, for us where we call, we, call our, we call a trader that works for, for our brokerage. Mm-hmm. Um, and that trader uh, looks at all the open buy and sell orders and we figure out exactly um, the parameters that we have to stay within to be able to execute this trade uh, without, you know, we want to be good market citizens. We don't want to flood the market. We don't want, we don't want to create price, dis- price disparity just because we want to open up a position. Mm-hmm. So, so we call it in to, uh, to New York city. Got you. Got you. And this is more of a, a curious question on my end. You don't have to answer that if this is like giving away too much. Um, cause I, I understand how that is, but I guess from like, as a smaller, like just a little goldfish in, in the ocean, I'm trying to figure it out. How, how do you guys open up your positions? Is that like, uh, like a few million bucks here and there? Like, are you just pointed in like iceberg orders? Like how, how do you guys operate that? Again, you don't, if you don't so want to divulge that, that's fine. I'm just curious. Well, if I understand your, your, so when I, if I understand your, if I understand your question, when we're opening up a position, uh, you know, it's either an options position or it's an equity position, mm-hmm. uh, one or the other, depending on depending on uh, what we're trying to trade mm-hmm. and how we're trying to trade it. Um, and 
the value of the position, you know, sometimes they're small, $3 million or so, it's probably the lowest that we would ever go. Mm-hmm. And then they range from there up to around $50 million, uh, which is on the higher end of a single position for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, say we're doing like a $15 million position, mm-hmm. uh, we would, we would, you know, say we're bullish, you know, an example is just say like we're bullish on Netflix, right? And so maybe you want to do something like you want to sell some cash covered puts, yeah. we want to sell, we want to buy some calls. And so we, we would identify the actual instruments that we want to, that we want to trade, uh, you know, which, 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 what's the strike, what's the expiration, you know, what's the premium you want to take in or the premium you want to pay. Mm-hmm. And we would come up with those parameters and then uh, we look at where the volume is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, at what, at, you know, which, which, how do we run this transaction in a way in which there's a volume and an appetite for what we're trying to, what we're trying to buy or what we're trying to sell. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times the stuff that we want, we just can't get because uh, there's just not enough appetite in the market for a particular contract uh, or there isn't enough available if we're trying to buy, there isn't enough people willing to buy if we're trying to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so we have, to, we, we have to take volume into consideration when we make these decisions. Uh, and once we take volume into consideration, uh, we call our trader in New York and he would spread it out um, across a period of time. And that will that could that could range from 20 minutes to like three or four hours uh, where we're slowly introducing the trade to the market. and We're doing it piece by piece by piece. And a lot of times in the process of doing the trade, you know, if it's an options trade, the underlying stock moves in the direction we don't want it to go and we end up with the partial fill. And then we have to reevaluate whether we want to continue. And, and you know, if we if we do, we do. If we don't, we wait for we wait for the underlying to fall back in back in the range that we need it to be at for us to uh, for us to get the price on the option side that we want. Got you. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, no, like I said, there's was just like more. I was curious, like for like myself on my end. Um, yeah, so- uh, these are problems that you don't face until until you start start uh, start doing big dollars. Right. Uh, most most retail traders, they never face volume constraints, mm-hmm. you know, unless you're doing like really low volume penny stocks, like in most and which we don't. We only do, you know, we do we don't we don't trade companies that have a market cap of, you know, more than three or four billion. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's on the very low end for us. Yeah. Uh, so we're we're doing decent sized firms uh, and we're faced with volume constraints. Uh, but most retail investors they don't have to think about that because they put in an order and you know it's small enough that it goes through mm-hmm. it just blends in yeah the only time i've ever had like an issue like that was obviously nowhere near the capacity where you're going but i think it was like a six dollar stock with like two hundred thousand volume then i actively saw like me moving it like li- like little bits you know like not like crazy and i'm like oh this is what they deal with on a much bigger size and they have to get more complex more advanced strategies to maneuver through i'm like oh this is interesting it was really mm-hmm. weird. I felt like a scumbag. I kind of like pushed something down just for the fuck of it. I was like, ha, like, <laughs> I just saw people panic. So I was like, pussies. <laughs> I mean, I probably shouldn't be saying this, but I mean. It's, 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 it's nice when you move the market, huh? 
Yeah, obviously, I, I, yeah. I, mean, I got a ways to go, but... Makes, makes you feel all powerful. Yeah, I was like... like you can oh, push a button, that, like, the, you can see the chart move, and that's you. <laughs> dude, it was it was very, very interesting, but like I said, it was like some $6 stock. I didn't even need that much capital to, like, maneuver it, but yeah, no, it, it was really interesting. So, I mean, for... I, I know this is a bit later to ask you. Um, well, I guess I got two questions. I guess I'll start with this one. What do you think about Tesla and Michael Burry's warnings of Tesla? And now that it's been included to the S&P, do you think it's a it's a huge liability because of its volatility or, or what do you have? What are your thoughts on that as well? Um, I mean, I think it deserves to be in the S&P. It's a big enough company. Uh, and it is. It, it got included some time ago. Yeah. And so so I'm I'm glad it's there. You know, I think I think Elon is one of the biggest assets that this country has. I mean, the man is an absolute genius. Mm-hmm. And um, and he's an asset not only to this country, but he's an asset to humanity. And, you know, we need men like him to drive, drive our society forward. Mm-hmm. And so with that in mind, uh, I do not, out of principle, I don't make bearish bets on Tesla because I want Tesla to succeed and I want Elon to succeed, right? The mission is noble. Um, and also, you know, if you're a Tesla bear, you're likely, you've likely already gotten your ass handed to you a few times. Yeah. Uh, so it's also not a profitable bet historically, betting against uh, Papa Elon. Yeah. Uh, so uh, with that being said, you know, Elon, I mean, it, it, Tesla is, I'm also not bullish on it, right? So I'm not, I don't own Tesla because it doesn't make any sense to own Tesla at this price. Mm-hmm. Uh, the underlying business uh, financially is just not as strong as it used to be to deserve a market cap of $700 billion, mm-hmm. right? Is it really worth all the other car companies combined? Mm-hmm. Um, right now it's what, like I think right under 700 a share right now. I yeah, and it's you know it's 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 a frothy valuation. It's, it's expensive, um, and, but I think there's better deals out there in the market uh, than Tesla. But you know, by no means would I bet against Elon. Uh, I don't have a death wish. Yeah, no, yeah. he's a. Uh, oh man, did you ever buy the Elon Musk flamethrower? No, I didn't. That's I didn't. I bought the tequila. Oh, the fucking Tesla tequila! You lucky son the of Tesla a bitch. Tequila. I, yeah, I bought the tequila and I I had it in my bar and I was like I I, I thought it was just, you know I have I have some expensive bottles of liquor, yeah. but that Tesla tequila was special to me, uh, and and uh, I had you know I I threw this after party one day and uh, uh, some drunk idiot started like he opened it and like started drinking it and then he dropped it and it shattered everywhere. And I remember I think I paid like three four hundred bucks for it. It wasn't very expensive. Yeah. But I was like, let me let me replace this. And I look online and like the 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 resale market is uh, selling these bottles for like fifteen hundred to two thousand a bottle now. Insane. Yeah. But I do I did go and buy another one. Uh, yeah. So I had the exact same thing happened again. Oh, really? So yeah. So and now I don't have any more Tesla tequila. Do you do you always throw parties at your place, or do you normally go out for that? Because obviously people will get drunk and, and stuff like that will happen. Or, or how do you, or, or what do you? Know I I I like to entertain, and I I have a lot of a lot of friends in this town, and so I I have people over. I I have people over maybe a few times a month, okay. uh, but I go out a lot, and so a lot of times, uh, you know, we're out checking out nightlife around town, mm-hmm. and um, you know, uh, if if we want to continue. 
at some point, you know, the bars here here in, here in Texas close at two. Uh, sometimes me and my friends end up at my place. Sometimes we end up at someone else's place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, it's hard to your spot, honestly. Because <laughs> I saw the <laughs> dude, I actually found him through uh, through TikTok, actually. Yeah. And I was like, damn, yeah, we got the fucking bottles. Like, uh, like um, what is it called? Like from the vending machine? Yeah, the, I have a Moet. Moet I'm like, uh, damn, machine. that's badass as fuck, dude. <laughs> that's what yeah. got my attention, personally. Yeah. Yeah, I keep uh, I keep a little tray with like these coins, and yeah. so whenever whenever I'm entertaining or have guests over, if they want if they want a little miniature bottle of champagne, they can just grab a coin and toss it in the vending machine. Damn. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Damn, dude, that's fucking dope as hell. How often does that um? Do you have to refill it? I refill it like once a month. Okay. And I I think I probably go through like two hundred bottles a month, maybe. Jesus Christ, really? Yeah, yeah. Damn. Uh, yeah. Do you drink a lot? Cause you're you're pretty like fit normally. Like I mean, I well I gain weight really fast, so I've had to yeah. cut down like on drinking recently. But I was like sixty pounds heavier like pre-COVID. Like ever since COVID was like the best thing that happened. I made more money, lost weight. I'm like great. I mean, you yeah. Know? Well, like obviously, despite like everything. I mean, like personally, you know. Um. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know. I, I, so I go out uh, probably two or three times a week. Mm-hmm. And when I do go out, it's, I, I have a couple of drinks. Uh, I'm in my 30s now and hangovers um, have gotten progressively worse. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, don't, I don't drink that much, but I do drink. Uh, but I try to limit it and try to, try to stay responsible. Got you. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I was like, how is he so fucking fit, bro? <laughs> I'm like, I'm talking <laughs> on his level on everything, dude. Yeah, I'm not, I, yeah, I don't know what you mean. I don't think I'm that fit. I work out every day, but I have a long way to go to be where I want to be. No, we all do, man. It's 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 a whole yeah. ass process. Have you hired a trainer or anything like that? Yeah, yeah, I have a guy that works out with me every day. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, so yeah. Um, I guess yeah. I just had a few more questions before I let you go. What do you think about like the um the crypto space right now? You know, my my uh, I I don't trade crypto at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't participate in crypto. Uh, my fundamental issue with crypto is the concept of intrinsic value, right? It's when I, you know, uh, I told you earlier when I, when I buy a company, I'm buying future cash flow, mm-hmm. uh, right? It's a discounted cash flow bet when you buy, when you buy a company. And so you're buying something that's going to generate value. Crypto doesn't generate intrinsic value. Like, it, I mean, it doesn't have intrinsic value because it doesn't generate cash flow. Uh, and so because of that, I prefer, I prefer companies. I prefer investing, buying, trading companies as opposed to, uh, as opposed to a commodity like crypto. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of see it more in the commodity world, uh, you know, where it's considered, it's more of a store of value, mm-hmm. but this lack of intrinsic value because it's not a business. Uh, and also like, how do you, how do you underwrite a crypto, right? I can underwrite a company millions of ways, right? I, I can look at management. I can I can look at I can listen to the earnings calls I can look at the financial statements I can look at the SEC filings mm-hmm. I can underwrite I have so many data points for me to choose the winner and the loser in 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 the public equity markets I have so many data points for me to choose an entry point and an exit point mm-hmm. um, and I can form a thesis in public equities uh, but I can't in in crypto in crypto mm-hmm. right um, I'm just hodling, right? It's you, just, you buy it and just, like that's it. Like that doesn't sound like fun. Uh, you know, no doubt. I mean, it's 
and I, it's made a bunch of money. And I, I have a few, I have a, probably have a few Bitcoin somewhere that I bought. Uh, and it's, it's, it, no doubt it makes money and it's going up, but I just don't find it fun because I don't have enough data points for me to manipulate and for me to understand. And there isn't enough decision-making involved for me to participate in, 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 in crypto. Mm -hmm. It's because it sounds like to me, like uh, with what you're doing right now, you're the house. And if you were to go to crypto, then God knows who would be the house, right? Then you'd be the gambler in Vegas, essentially, right? Yeah, I mean, there's at what point in investing are you gambling, uh, right? And at what, at what point are you are you investing? And so if you're if you're, you know, I think um, the second you start hoping, it's over. And, and that's something, you know, that's, that's a rule of mine that I hold dear is when I'm in, when I'm in a, when I'm in a public equity trade, when I'm, when I'm in an options trade, uh, and I'm like, oh shit, well, I hope this turns around. Mm -hmm. Well, damn, you know, like the fact that my mind even went there is a problem because mm -hmm. hope should have nothing to do with it. Uh, because everything should be so documented your move of what you're going to do when in what situation your whole decision tree should be planned out before you even enter the trade. Mm -hmm. uh, that there's the hope, there's really no room for hope. You just, just react. Mm -hmm. You react based on, you know, the way you decided you will react. Uh, and, uh, and in, in crypto, it's kind of, and, and, and to me, that's not gambling the way I do it, you know, it's investing. Uh, but in crypto, you're, there's you can't there's no control right mm -hmm. there's there's not enough data to underwrite what's a good investment and what isn't and so you do kind of end up buying and then hoping it'll go off mm -hmm. no yeah i got you i got you on that i i know you do um extreme due diligence from the sounds of it um how i mean would you be like more fundamental trader or are you more like technical analysis or, or what do you range on that percentage wise no of them? technical analysis is bullshit there's that's the, it's a scam yeah. uh you can't read a chart and like predict where things are gonna go mm -hmm. uh the the rule you know it's technical analysis for the most part you know it takes the premise of what happened in the past is somehow an indication of what will happen in the future. Mm -hmm. And I've never seen that to hold true in my experience. Uh, and so I don't look at technical analysis at all. Uh, you know, I see it like palm reading and reading in a horoscope and astrology. I think it's voodoo science. Mm -hmm. And I've oh. never met a technical trader make, uh, make money on a long-term sustained basis by looking at charts. Uh, so it is it is a hundred percent fundamental analysis. Um, it's not technical at all. We 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 don't even we don't even look at the charts. Interesting. Okay. Um, I guess proceeding on to the next question in regards to fundamentals. What what are some some green flags and some red flags? What are some things that are, like that catch your attention that make you want to be invested in a certain play and what are some immediate like turn offs that are like red flag like don't even fucking touch that shit with a 36 foot pole or whatever you know yeah if wall street bets is talking about it don't touch it uh that's <laughs> yeah. that's, that's that's one of my one of my red flags uh yeah. if, a, if a company's been memefied uh mm -hmm. there's too much volatility i wouldn't go anywhere near it um, some of the things that I look for, you know, uh, monopolies and duopolies, um, oligopolies, these are, you know, companies with limited, 
competition uh, are generally great places uh, to allocate capital to. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of them out there, right? You have a lot of utilities that are that way. Um, you know, you have, of course, you have like the Amazons and the Googles. They don't really even have any real competition, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's Netflix I mentioned earlier. And so we, we look at we look at companies that have a business model that is hard to replicate, if not impossible, and that have limited competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, those tend to thrive long term. Um, we look at management. Uh, you know, I I love founder-run companies. Uh, you know, I'm a I'm a founder myself, uh, and I know that nobody can run my company the way I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that philosophy applies to publicly traded companies that are run by their founders. They generally will outperform uh, companies that are not run by their founders. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a good indication for us. You know, there's a whole ETF, uh, at there was called BOSS, B-O-S-S, which just looked at founder-run companies, which is kind of which is kind of cool. Uh, but yeah, but we don't really do ETFs or index funds or anything like that. We're doing individual stock picking in my world. Mm-hmm. Got you, okay. Um... In regards to like you were mentioning the management aspect of it and it being like ran like do you do you do more like deep dives into like the people that are actually managing the companies like their previous history like their their odd success with how they've turned around companies or if they failed and, and so forth or just kind of zoom in a little bit more on that yeah absolutely uh, yeah we, we absolutely do so like those companies that we that we invest in uh, where we tell you know part of our thesis is that so long as this man, you know, this man is at the helm, so long as this CEO is running this company, we like, mm-hmm. uh, and we have that much faith in his ability to execute. Um, and uh, we've exited positions because there's been a change of leadership uh, and we no longer have faith okay. at that point in future, in, in, the, in the future of that firm. Um, so, you know, we, we, like, we like strong, charismatic leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, and we like to we like visionaries um you know we take you know we take that from like kathy's playbook i guess uh and uh and you know you combine that with a strong market position limited competition good financials and a fair valuation and Mm -hmm. uh and you really end up with the winner and then we would just lever the hell up on that Mm -hmm. okay that's interesting. I've only heard of one other person that doesn't even look at the charts. I'm so like a little tripped out by like your strategy, which obviously 100% has given you great results. But I, I think I read it in a book. I forget what book I read, but yeah, there's some guy. I think I think it might have been like 20, 30 years ago. This guy would just read newspapers and then he would just like do his own research and he would just give it to a trader and be like, yeah, I, I'm not gonna look at it. And he had like phenomenal returns. I'm like, what the hell? That's just a, it's just such an interesting foreign strategy to myself you know did you just pick that up yourself or did you like no, i don't yeah i i picked it up myself i don't really see it as like foreign i see it as intuitive it's mm-hmm. it's why would a chart why would you make a trading decision based off a chart mm-hmm. uh right it's fundamentally what the chart is a reflection of what has happened in the past mm-hmm. and that's not indicative of what's going to happen in the future at mm-hmm. all uh so i i i found you know, I, I, I get what you're saying that mm-hmm. majority of people out there are looking at charts and they are doing some form of technical analysis. I just found that to be so preposterous and it's it, that it's just, it's, 
it never makes any sense to me on why people do that. I feel like it's so intuitive just to not. It's because just it doesn't noise, matter. right? It's noise. Yeah, it's, it, it distracts you from, you know, from, from your thesis. And mm-hmm. if you want to be a good capital allocator, you, you can't allocate capital based on voodoo science. And that's what technical analysis is, is voodoo science, right? It's, yeah. like they're looking for like patterns and charts and it's insanity. It doesn't make sense to me. That was a very interesting way you put it um, that I really enjoyed. That you were like, it's like astrology or like believing in those rocks. I like that a lot, actually. <laughs> I didn't think about it like that, but that's pretty fucking yeah. dope. Um, are you a part of like like FinTwit? Do you like keep tabs on like certain people that like provide good value to you, like in regards to like uh, their opinions or anything like that, or, or is that noise as well for you? Um, I, I wouldn't say it's a noise because I don't know who you're talking about. Uh, but the answer is no, I don't. I don't. I don't follow. I don't follow other traders and other investors. Uh, I follow analysts. Uh, so I have, you know, I have a portfolio list of companies that we trade actively and we we have strong beliefs on. And uh, the big big banks, uh, big investment firms, hedge funds generally have analysts that are dedicated to following those companies. And we read analyst reports quite often here. Uh, and so we follow analysts for a specific, for a specific company who we know has a lot of experience and follow in, in, in you know, a lot, of, a lot of exposure to that company. Uh, but there isn't really like a, a trader or an investor out there that we're looking at closely uh, that we try to mimic trades off of. Uh, you know, there's there's people I respect. You know, um, you know, like. Uh, um, I mean, there's there's the uh, the Sun fellow, you know, out of Japan. Uh, he's he's done some interesting things. He's also lost a lot of money, right? You have the Warren Buffetts out there as well, and so mm-hmm. there's people to look up to, but there really isn't anybody that we follow. Got you. Okay. Um, I mean, for for me, obviously, does money like mean anything to you now, or is it kind of just like a like a toy, like Monopoly money, or? Because obviously, like in the grand scheme of things, it obviously matters. But like, how do you see it as now that you've gotten to the point where you're at currently? Um, there was a period in my life where I would make money because I wanted something, right? I wanted to buy something, and so I need I need capital to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I'm not I'm not there anymore. Uh, there really isn't anything I want or I need that. I haven't already bought for myself or that I can't go and buy if I wanted to a million times over. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'm at the point where I never have to work anymore uh, if I didn't want to. Uh, and so the question is kind of like, why? Um, and it's, it's uh, you know, and I, I think the answer is because I'm really, really fucking good at it. Yeah. Uh, and, and because I'm good at it, I enjoy it. Mm. Uh, I have a lot of fun with it and it's, it's it's you know, um, I I grade my performance in the market by by uh, how much alpha I have, uh, right? And you know, alpha for those who don't know is how well you perform over the over how well the market's performing, and so I like to triple, quadruple, quintuple the market sometimes, uh, and makes me feel good uh, because I'm, you know it's my craft and I, I continue honing it, and and you know. The thing about money is uh, the biggest impact money has to your happiness is that it allows you time. It gives you time to spend how you want to spend it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so uh, I, I, I use that ability that wealth 
created for me to spend time with with people I love and with my friends and be able to live the lifestyle that I want to live. Uh, and at the same time, I'm still actively working and I'm making more money than I've ever made before. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, of course, you know, I, I do a, a good amount of philanthropy right now, but eventually, you know, I'm 32, I'm young. Uh, eventually, I'd love to get to a level to where I decide that, hey, let me start moving this stuff into more more passive funds away from active trading funds mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and maybe start a foundation or something. Are, I guess, um, kind of tying into um, like the risk aversion right there. Um, do you, I mean, from the sounds of it as well, it sounds like you have like very strong conviction and I think that's what worked really well for you um, during the whole pandemic COVID um, shoved down essentially. Um, where is like, obviously you're managing so much money. Where would you say like your how do I say it? Do you, do you get stressed out a lot or is it just like once it's done, it's done and, and you kind of just move on from it or or do you not even stress out about it? You're just like, fuck it. Stress out about what? Uh, like your trades, like certain trades in particular. Do you stress out about it or is it just no, like... never. It, never? Never, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, maybe when I was younger and I first started, mm-hmm. uh, it would stress me out, but no, why would I, why would I enter a position um, in my portfolio that would create stress? Um, I, it's quite the opposite. Every time I enter a position, I get excited, mm-hmm. right? Because, because I've identified value. Uh, I, I've identified some disparity in what something costs versus what something is worth. I'm mm-hmm. able to exploit that disparity to create profit. Uh, and that's exciting. That shouldn't be stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, it's stressful if you, if you go into it with your eyes closed and you go into it with, uh, you know, a hope that it's going to go in the direction you want to go. But yeah. uh, it's very, it's very systemic for us. So we I, I actually celebrate a trade because the fact that we did a trade means that we did our diligence and we found value and that's, mm-hmm. that's a win. And then we do the trade and, uh, and if the trade goes the direction that we sh- it should go, we make money. If it doesn't, we've already have, we already have decision trees in place of what we do. And we just we just go with the motions. It shouldn't stress you out. So it seems like you go with uh, with smaller size in in regards to your positions, but the payouts are really well. Does that sound about right? Um, it depends on the type of trade. It depends on the type of trade. So if uh-huh. I'm if I'm if I'm spending millions of dollars buying call options, uh, you know the payout that we're hoping for, we're hoping to, we're hoping for significant payout, mm-hmm. uh, double, triple. Uh, but if we're, you know, if we're, if we're generating $2 million in premiums selling a cash covered put that has an assignment value of 50 million, mm-hmm. right? Then of course our upside is limited to that 2 million. Mm-hmm. And we're just hoping to make that 2 million off that transaction and move on. Okay. Got you. Got you. Um, I guess moving on to the last bit of this, uh, the podcast right now, I guess what, what would be one of the the most what are some mistakes that you would advise to a new trader not to make or to work on in particular to better themselves to have a whole different process if they want to succeed in this field um i think traders that get emotional and that don't do their diligence Mm -hmm. uh, are not going to find sustained success Mm -hmm. um i think this is a game of mental acuity. Uh, you have to stay sharp and you have to stay balanced and you have to stay stable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can't 
get upset, can't get emotional. Um, you just gotta be a man about it. And you gotta, you gotta take your wins and you gotta take your L's at the same time with the same level of discipline um, and with the same level of calmness. It seems like you already learned a lot of the fundamentals of trading. Uh, like for me, I haven't I haven't run a business, but I ended up learning a lot about myself uh, once I got into trading and I was like, okay, in order to do this, I need to treat it like a business. Um, having owned a business before you started trading, what else did you learn about yourself once you started getting into, uh, into this? Was it more like psychology or, or is there anything that stood out to you? Yeah, so I, you know, I still, I still own businesses, and I'm, and I, I'm still operationally involved in mm. some businesses that I really enjoy running and managing, and I still spend a lot of time working on those businesses. Mm. Um, and so, uh, being being an entrepreneur, uh, I think, has been instrumental to being a successful investor and a successful trader. Yeah, uh, because as an entrepreneur, your job is to create value for your investors and your customers and your employees and your vendors. And you just get so good at value creation. Uh, and you get, you get, if you're a good entrepreneur, you're going to get really good at value creation. When you look at the public markets, you can identify similar value creation uh, abilities in other companies and you can identify, you can, you can identify good management because you've managed companies. And so that's, it's, I, I think at least for me, it's gone hand in hand. If I hadn't been an entrepreneur, or if I was not an entrepreneur, I wouldn't be as good of a trader and an investor as I am. Got you. Okay. Um, how hard is it for you in your position? Because um, I'm sure you have a lot of people that are trying to, like, let's say, like, use you for free drinks or whatever level of that sort, right? Because I'm, obviously you have some influence. How hard is it to find people that are genuine? And because obviously I know like you're very intuitive. You have a way of scoping the bullshit, right? But I mean, I don't know if that even makes sense. You know, does does it make sense? Um, ask 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 me again. How is is it hard to find people that are genuine? Like now that like in the position that that you're in. Um, I think most people are genuine. Okay. Uh, and I give people the benefit of the doubt until they prove otherwise. Um, I think people are, are, are good naturally mm -hmm. and to, nearly everybody is really coming from a good place. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and you know, it's, it's, and some have resources and some don't, mm -hmm. uh, but I don't think people are really out there, uh, to try to take advantage of people, mm -hmm. uh, in general. You know, it's different in business, you know, and when you're writing checks, it's very different. Uh, you have to be very, you have to be very careful uh, because there's, there's a lot, there's, there's a lot of trapped out there uh, in that world. But like in my personal life, I have, I have a lot of friends. They're all good people. Um, they all are coming from a good place and they all have their own flaws and their own problems and everybody, everybody's kind of living their own story, you know. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I was just curious in, in regard to that because uh, I don't know, just, just kind of like my own personal thoughts. But, um, and then another well, have you Have you experienced? Have you experienced people that you feel have been kind of taking advantage of you? I have. I'm actually the opposite of what you said. Um, 
maybe I should change that possibly. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's just a reflection of me. But when you were saying you give people the benefit of the doubt, I'm usually the opposite. Usually I start out mm-hmm. the exact opposite way and I'm like, oh, like you got to like kind of earn it, you know, at least for me. That's that's why I was like curious. I'm like, obviously, you've, you've attained a whole other level of success. So I'm kind of like trying to like I'm envisioning what uh, just having a better future, a better life for myself, obviously. Right. And I'm like, hmm, like I'm already just kind of like somewhere else. I'm an overthinker, put it that way. Right. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting, yeah. 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 Uh, it's, it's easier because, like, there's only so much someone can take from me if yeah. they want it to take from me, you know? Yeah. yeah. No, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and then I just try to, I don't know about you, but, like, I just try to, because there's so many, like, people that are just, like, just negative. I think that's, like, the majority of all the people that I try to avoid, the reason why I don't give much people, like, the benefit of the doubt. Like, I don't want it to, like, affect with, like, me in particular because again i'm an i'm an overthinker you know yeah yeah and like, yeah i think it'd be very careful with... as with the, with the type of energy you have around you for sure mm-hmm. yeah and i've you know I've, I've cut people off in my life uh that i felt were pushing me down right they weren't going anywhere they didn't have anything going on and um and uh and just being around that type of energy is not healthy agreed yeah. um has money help make you happy or has it not or has that been like more internal i would assume it's it's the other one but i'm just kind of curious in in regards to that as well uh money money definitely has a big impact in how happy you are Mm -hmm. um there's there's a base level of wealth that you need to be comfortable Mm -hmm. um and there's some science behind that i think it's like diminishing returns after like some ridiculously low number like 70 or 80k a year or something like that Mm -hmm. uh but uh, you know, once you cross that hurdle to where at least you have enough money to be comfortable, mm-hmm. otherwise there's no way to be happy. You can't be, there's no such thing as being poor and happy. That just doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now you can be, you can have enough money to where you're comfortable, uh, and that will make, could make you sufficiently happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you are, if you have time and you're able to wake up and you're able to do what you want with your day and you're able to, uh, you know, no one's able to tell you what to do or force you to do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're able to spend that time as you see fit. Uh, that's, that's a luxury, um, uh, that, uh, that you, you have to have a decent amount of money to have. And I think once you get there, mm-hmm. uh, then any amount of wealth after that is probably diminishing and maybe unnecessary, mm-hmm. but you do need money to be happy for sure. Mm-hmm. Anything past that is just like, like new high scores, right? Yeah, and anything past that, you're just more, more like passionate about it. Is why you're doing it, really. Got you. Okay, that's interesting. Well, no, I, I really, I really thank you for pretty much all the insight that you've that you've given me. Uh, the final question that I wanted to ask you was, what's what's the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Um, you know, someone once told me that your your success in life is largely dependent on your ability to have uncomfortable conversations. Um, and uh, that's, that's it, it kind of struck with me because I've had a lot of pivotal moments in my life where I had to have uncomfortable conversations with people uh, to be able to get my point across or to be able to get done what I want done. Mm-hmm. And so it's a little bit unconventional advice um, I think a lot of people are unhappy or they're 
you know, there, there's, there's some hindrance to them being happy and being successful. And they're just a conversation away from fixing that. And so something to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I believe that the most growth comes in when you're in uncomfortable situations. Being in comfort is usually like the end of someone is what I've noticed. And I'm like, yeah. uh, you know, I was there for like a year. I'm like, get that shit the fuck. Cause I, well, I like you, I'm actually from my, well, I'm first generation American. My parents are illegal. Um, so like there was a whole time where like I was like hustling, 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 right? And uh, and I got to like a nice point and then like I got really complacent and I'm like, oh, I can't be there. I'm like, I don't want to end it here, you know? Like I want much more for myself than like what I currently have. That was like about a year ago, but I'm so, I'm still working. I'm still works in progress, you know? So good, yeah. But yeah, there's, there's, there's so many people that get comfortable and then they stay that way their whole life. Mm-hmm. And then they blink and you know, their youth is gone um, and they're like shit. And uh, that's, that's, it's a tragedy. Mm-hmm. One of the things I always tell everyone, I'm like, I don't want to live with regret. I'd rather fail than live with fucking regret, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I'm like, hey, as, as long as I know I fucking tried. If I wasn't good enough, I wasn't good enough. Yeah. But the last thing I want to know is be at that retirement home, though. You know, I'm just like, damn, I should have done this. I should have done that. Or I could have used my time doing this instead of just, you know, fill in the blank. So. Um, thank you so much, man, for your time and your wisdom and yeah. uh, all the information. Where can people follow you? Uh, well, uh, my Instagram is uh, CEO10X. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can follow me there. Um, I have a lot of people uh, that have fake Instagrams that are similar to my name. That, I had three that of them follow picture. you. Follow me like with fake Instagram yeah. names. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's a whole there's a whole community of fake Instagrams out there. People trying to pretend to be me, and then they follow my followers and they message them, trying to sell them trading advice. Yeah. Uh, so don't fall for that. It's uh, my Instagram is CEO ten X one zero X, and if you want to follow me, you can follow me on there. Awesome, thank you so much, man. Oh yeah, side right. note, I died when I clicked on your link and I saw that OnlyFans bullshit link. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> that was fucking hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's a, it's a rickroll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for your time again. Hopefully, I get you on soon in the future. Awesome. Thanks. All right. Peace, man. Have a great day. Bye. You too. Bye. You won't go fooling me twice.